to most surgeons, an adult umbilicus is basically an entry point for laparoscopic surgery or it's a hernia that needs to be repaired. But in the pediatric population, it can be a little bit more complex. I'm Rod Gerardo. And I'm Ellen Entisco. We're research residents at Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center. Today we're joined by Dr. Mira Kodigal, a pediatric surgeon at Cincinnati Children's, and she's going to talk to us about umbilical pathologies. Let's get started. Dr. Kodigal, I know that a lot of different pathologies come to mind when you have a pediatric patient with an umbilical bulge. So what should be on our differential diagnosis? The history and physical are really important in the evaluation of a young child with an umbilical bulge. Your differential diagnosis includes an umbilical hernia, which is obviously the most common, a uracal cyst, a patent umphalomesenteric duct, umbilical granuloma, or an umbilical polyp. Or in some instances, if there's significant erythema, you might consider umphalitis. Gotcha. So are there any signs or symptoms we could use to distinguish them? The presence of umbilical drainage may help you distinguish whether or not it's one of these things. For example, urine draining from the umbilicus would be associated with a patent urachus. Whereas if you see succus, you might consider it a patent umphalomesenteric duct. Okay, so let's say we get the ultrasound, we see something, but we can't tell if it's a patent urachus or an umphalomesenteric duct. I mean, what's our next step here? Good question, Rod. As far as I know, if the ultrasound shows one of those things, the next step is usually operative exploration. Let's hear from Dr. Kodigal about the technique. So we make a similar incision that we would make to an umbilical hernia repair in a curvilinear fashion in the infra-umbilical space and dissect down. You can then identify the attachments from the umbilicus to the bladder or to the intestine and track those down in order to divide them. And for the uracal remnant, you need to make sure you track it all the way down to the bladder and you'll usually have to repair the bladder at that level in two layers. All right, I got another question. This one's for Dr. Kodigal. What's the difference between an umbilical granuloma and umbilical polyp? An umbilical polyp is a small remnant of the umphalomesenteric duct, which happens to extend from the umbilicus. Usually this is something that we can excise. You can either tie it off and ligate it in the clinic and divide it, or tie it off and let it fall off over time. An umbilical granuloma, granulation tissue or asymptomatic pink tissue that usually is at the base of the umbilicus. We often see that in very small infants shortly after the umbilical cord has separated, and the treatment for that is silver nitrate. Rod, another important point is differentiating them on the physical exam. We usually use a Q-tip or some other similar tool to spread the belly button and take a good look at the base of it. If it's a polyp, you should see a little bit of a stalk and be able to move that tissue around a little bit more freely, whereas granulomatous tissue may be more stuck on kind of at the base of the belly button. What about risk factors for umbilical hernia? I mean, what increases the chances for these kids? The primary risk factor for umbilical hernias is prematurity. However, we also know that we see differences in umbilical hernia rates depending on race. African American infants are eight times more likely to have an umbilical hernia compared to Caucasians. This time I have a question for you, Rod. Let's say you're seeing a one-year-old with an umbilical hernia. When would you repair the hernia? Of course, Ellen. Well, for umbilical hernias, we usually wait until the patient is at least four years of age. And here's Dr. Kodigal explaining why. 85% of infant umbilical hernias will close on their own. Small defects are more likely to close spontaneously compared to larger defects, those that are over a centimeter or a centimeter and a half. And particularly, we will sometimes approach closing really large hernias earlier if children are symptomatic from them or if they seem that they're so large that they, they're unlikely to close spontaneously. And if you decide to wait and repair the umbilical hernia when they're closer to four years of age, you should make sure to counsel the family about signs of an incarceration or strangulation, like abdominal pain, vomiting, overlying skin changes, or a bulge that is not able to be reduced. Oof. 
all right, well here, I think we have to go to surgery. So let's walk through the steps of an umbilical hernia repair. Pediatric umbilical hernias are an outpatient procedure. They usually involve an infra-umbilical curvilinear incision. Once you've gotten down to the fascia, people will encircle the stalk, umbilical stalk, and then divide it. Once you've done that, then you want to separate the hernia sac from the skin and fascia in that fashion. It allows you to identify the fascial edges and then to close the defect primarily. Unlike in adults, we don't typically use mesh to repair an umbilical hernia in a child. But it is really important to make sure when you do that repair that you get all the way back to normal fascia and that you're not closing hernia sac to hernia sac. Okay, great. So does any of the surgical management change if the child presents with a large umbilical proboscis? Even though children may have a very prominent proboscis and a lot of extra skin at the side of their umbilical hernia, you generally don't need to resect any of that skin or perform a formal umbilicoplasty. There are different techniques for repairing this type of hernia, but usually just tacking the skin down at the center of your repair is sufficient for recreating the umbilicus. In instances with significant excess skin, you might consider an umbilicoplasty, but you have to be careful in order to make sure that you create what is cosmetically consistent with a normal umbilicus. Here are the key takeaways from this podcast. It's important to remember that there are different types of umbilical pathologies and a good history and physical is critical to differentiate them. For umbilical hernias, most of them spontaneously close by the age of four years, so you want to at least wait until about then. Umbilical polyps are common and they can often be managed non-operatively in clinic. For other umbilical pathologies, ultrasound can help differentiate one from the other. It could also guide surgical management. There you have it, our quick summary on pediatric umbilical hernias. If you like this episode, then make sure you follow us on social media, subscribe to our YouTube page, and leave us a comment on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Download the Stay Current Pediatric Surgery app. It's in the Apple App Store, it's in the Google Play Store. But until then, I'm Rod Gerardo. I'm Ellen. And, and remember, remember knowledge, knowledge should, should be, be free. free.